baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. If we hope to survive in this digital age, we have to think critically about the messages we consume. Someone created those messages for a reason. Let's find out why. Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch, virtual consumer editor at KMOX Radio. In this episode, the U.S. Supreme Court is considering two cases observers say could change the face of the Internet, especially social media companies. Here's something you might like. Here's a video you might want to watch. Here is information that you might want to read. All of that would come to a screeching halt. It all centers around Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. My conversation with Brad Young, attorney with Harris Dow Fisher & Young in Missouri. Section 230 uh, was passed in 1996, and as you mentioned, it's part of the Communications Decency Act. And the idea of Section 230 is essentially to be a litigation or a liability shield for social media companies when it comes to user-posted content. So if some user posts content either on a website or through a social media platform, then at least in theory under Section 230, the company or the platform cannot be held liable for what the individuals say when they post something on that platform. So things like comments or pictures or videos. Exactly. If someone posted uh, a, a comment about somebody that happened to be uh, libel or slander, then under Section 230, the platform itself could not be held liable for that, even though the person who posted it might be. Brad, let's talk about the specific cases that the justices are considering. They both revolve around the Islamic State group. Yeah, there's essentially two cases that make very, very similar arguments. The first case is called Gonzalez versus Google, and in that case, uh, ISIS individuals and terrorists killed someone, and their family members are suing Google because of Google owns YouTube. And on YouTube, YouTube makes recommendations for videos that you might like or videos that you might want to watch. And in this instance, YouTube actually made suggestions uh, to those who actually committed the, the uh, terrorist acts to watch additional videos. And so the, the theory is, with Gonzalez versus Google, much like the, the second case, which is called Twitter versus Tamna, uh, where Twitter made recommendations, as did Facebook and Google itself, made recommendations, and that led to an ISIS terrorist incident. So the idea here revolves around not so much of the user content, because that was posted by terrorists, but the fact that the social media platforms recommended videos or social media or information, made those recommendations by their algorithms. And that's truly the crux of this case. Now, it's my understanding from some of the things that I've read that the justices agreed to hear these cases without the kind of maybe federal appeals court rulings or splits that would typically prompt the Supreme Court to step in. 
you're exactly right. Normally, as you've said, the Supreme Court only will come into a case after the cases have moved through all of the appellate courts or if there's a difference or a dispute between different uh, uh, different courts in the country. But the, but the Supreme Court bypassed that here, Megan, I think, and they didn't really say why explicitly, but I think the idea here is, is that social media has become so inter- intertwined with our society that this issue needed to be resolved one way or the other without the normal years and years of delay that would accompany this type of uh, litigation. Because some observers are saying that this is something that lawmakers should tackle or should have tackled instead of high court justices. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, for oral argument on the first case, one of the Supreme Court justices said, the, you know, we are not uh, Internet experts here. And all of the justices who spoke during oral argument made comments or references to the fact that this seems more like a legislative issue than a judicial issue. Because it's more about what the law can do, and that it would be defined by lawmakers, as opposed to whether it's constitutional or not. So how could a Supreme Court decision shape the future of the Internet? Because that's what a lot of analysts are saying, that this decision could have wide-ranging impacts on what we do online. It really could, Megan. And, and, the, and the impact could be seen in this scenario. Let's say hypothetically that the Supreme Court rules that Section 230 cannot be used as a liability shield for tech companies or social media platforms when those platforms use algorithms to recommend posting, recommend videos, recommend other content. If that were the case, and if the court held that, then all of the social media platforms would instantly stop giving users recommendations. Here's something you might like. Here's a video you might want to watch. Here is information that you might want to read. All of that would come to a screeching halt because the platforms could not take the risk of incurring liability if those algorithms, which of course is just computer code, it's not individuals, it's computer code that's doing those recommendations. If that computer code makes a recommendation that would lead to liability, the platforms themselves would not want to have to pay that liability. So it would completely change how social media recommends user content. Now, I know I'm asking you to project a little bit, but let's say the Supreme Court does determine that's the case, and these companies have to pull back those recommendations and those algorithms. Would you expect then that pressure would be put to bear on lawmakers by these tech giants to make some changes in law? I do see that. Uh, That would be the natural occurrence from that. But what's interesting is so many issues today, Megan, we we always characterize in terms of right versus left. And in this instance, both people on the right and people on the left are united in their anger against Section 230, but for completely different reasons. So, So folks on the left are angry that Section 230 is not used more aggressively by tech companies to monitor and to prevent the spreading of hate speech and, and derogatory comment. Those on the right argue that Section 230 is bad because it allows tech companies to censor conservative speech online. So there's a consensus that Section 230 is bad, but there's no consensus on why, and there's certainly no consensus on what should be done. And yet a, a ruling by the Supreme Court here would truly trigger the need uh, for Washington and, and Congress in particular to actually take action in this area. 
nuts and bolts, how long does it typically take between the time the Supreme Court hears cases and then issues a ruling? Well, typically cases are released or decisions rather are released in some sort of order in which they're heard by oral argument. So we're at the at about the middle stage right now of the oral argument season, as it were. And so I would expect in this case that we would not get a decision before June. However, if you look at the expedited nature of the oral argument itself and the court taking this action, I could see the court expediting their decision here. But in the, in the absence of some expedited uh, decision-making process, we would expect a decision by June. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio. I'm Megan Lynch. Special thanks to content contributor, media literacy expert, Julie Smith. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our Media Literacy Project. Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.